the lie the poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where would we be where would we be welcome to the state of the theory podcast i'm hannah and i'm an india and we are your theory doctors Welcome back. Hello. You Hello. sound sad. How are you? It's been hard. It's been hard. It's been hard. I'm sure it's been hard for most of our listeners. Yes. Yes. I think our listeners all lean the way we do. One way. Yeah. Um, hope everyone's safe. Hope everyone's looking after themselves. You know, find support, find solidarity, find friends. Um, we'll still be here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, In the UK? And, yes. Awaiting um, the triggering of Article 50. Yes. Uh, Post-Brexit Britain and post-Trump America. Well, Trump America. Yeah. Trump That's land, fun. as was it Michael Moore called yeah. it? Trump land. I remember when I used to fantasize about Prime Minister Corbyn and President Sanders. That was a pipe dream. That was a pipe dream. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Obviously, today we're talking about our take on the election. Yes. Obviously, a lot of this has already been... There's been a lot of yes. the expending of words yeah. around this and um, wringing of hands and expressions of sadness or disbelief or not disbelief, as yeah. the case may be. Um I think we, well, we're focusing today on social media. Yes. Specifically. The yeah, the algorithm. We're talking about the algorithm. Yes. Um, specifically Facebook, because Facebook has been the focus. Some of the commentary, and Mark Zuckerberg himself has yeah. come out. Um, Defending to, it. Yeah, to give us his opinion. Yes. Of the algorithm. Yes. Um. Where do we want to start? Well, so one of the things that has marked the coverage, I think, uh, and this was the same case uh, after Brexit, was the perception that all of us live in our own individual social media bubble and or social media echo chamber. Those two words seem to be used sometimes interchangeably, sometimes to mean slightly different things. They, I think they imply a different... Yeah sort of tone. Yes. And I think there is the perception that because of the kind of friends we have on social media and the kinds of things we see and the kinds of things we share and post and like engage with on Facebook that we are only ever listening to people who agree with us. And therefore depending on the point of view you take you are either not learning about what, quote, the other side feel, and therefore you will continue to miss predictions about future election results. Uh, or the, other, the, other, the flip side of the argument is that you never understand how the other side feel, and therefore you can't empathise with them, and therefore you are alienated in your own silo. 
I think that's sort of very generally as far as I've seen the the rhetoric about social media and its role in politics today. Yes. How do we feel about these arguments? Well, the first is that I find it fascinating because it reflects the general um, critique of the work that we do as academics. Yes. Um, it, it is a similar statement used to undermine, you know, this yeah. ivory tower mentality, yeah. um, the idea of disciplinary silos, the work that we do, yes. Yes. and to say that academics, you know, this gets mobilized in ways that neutralize our, yeah. the effect of our work and the politics of our work. Yes. Um, but the point of this is it's, it's at the, the societal scale, yes. not the industrial scale. And that social media, what I find interesting is that this, a lot of this commentary speaks about this phenomenon, the social media echo chamber, as something that is new and unique to social media. But to me, I mean, the algorithm, the algorithm question is interesting. And we'll talk about the kind of the, the technical elements of that in a, in a bit. But this, to me, is just social media mirroring already existing social and geographical yeah. arenas but in I think which it's people magnifying operate. as well as mirroring. Yes, but it's not creating. It magnifies, and yeah. that's the power of the algorithm. Yes, and we'll talk about why. Yeah. I think there's a logic yeah. as to why the algorithm does that, yeah. um, and why social, effective social media has designed algorithms in particular ways. But this to me is not, there's a reason the maps look the way that they do. And it isn't, it is, tr- it is true that rural and urban contexts are different and that they're related in complex ways having to do with industrialization and deindustrialization and um, kind of geographical patterns of movement and settlement. Um, but it's a bit more complicated in that a lot of it has to do with access and the kinds of people and the kinds of ideas that you engage with on a daily basis. Because in order for kind of small-scale social organization to function, it requires some sense of cohesion and it requires some sense of consensus. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, the people around you, for the most part, think and feel the same way that you do because you have similar skills perhaps because you're doing the same job Um, you have similar interests because you live in a place where you can do the same things Um, you have shared values for example um, I don't know the San Francisco 49ers are a shared value Um, and so the social media algorithm is designed Upon that basis. So for me, it doesn't seem particularly unique. And in fact, this is one of the... I mean, this was one of the key arguments of 1960s and 1970s activism and and organization and community organizing. I mean, it was Harvey Milk's key um, strategy for defeating education bills that would keep openly gay teachers out of classrooms. He said, you need to come out to your families if it's safe for you to do so because... People need to see you and know that you're in their lives. Yeah. They need to know that they know gay yeah. people. Yeah. And he was critiqued for obvious reasons having to do with putting 
people at risk. Yeah. But at the same time, that is the idea that yeah. that your social world yeah. retains a certain homogeneity. Yeah, I mean, I, the way I think of it in, in, in a slightly sort of simplistic sense is that I remember thinking after the Brexit vote that I don't know anyone who voted Brexit, voted to leave. And I think you were saying before we started recording that if, you, if you'd stayed at home in California, then you probably wouldn't have met anyone around you who voted Trump. Yes. And those two facts exist independently of our individual Facebook worlds. Yes. Like, had I not been on Facebook or Twitter, I would still not have met anyone who voted to leave. Yeah. Because your world because is... Because my world is... And, you know, my social media timeline might reinforce and magnify my world. But it's still based around my world. Yes. Yes. And that is something that that the people who invented social media say yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, and I, I wouldn't take issue with Mark Zuckerberg claiming that. Yeah. Um... Where would you take a short he, he did. He he did come out to say that Facebook had nothing to do with politics. Yes. Facebook has nothing to do with the election results yes. and the way that the election went. Um, which is just a delightful, naive, incorrect position, I think. Yes. Um, his reasoning, um, a, a noble... Fantasy <laughs> reasoning, yeah. um, Trump-like, if you will, yes. is that Facebook is designed to bring Did people... Did you just describe Trump-like as noble? In a way, yes. Yeah. So I, yeah. I admire Trump's ability yeah. to live completely in the moment, yeah, 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 yeah. unless he's been insulted by a woman, yeah, yeah, in yeah. which case he will remember that pain yes. yeah. every yes. second of his yes. life. But in, a, in every other way, yeah. for him, truth... Truth exists purely in the moment. Yes. Um, and in some ways, I admire that yeah. sort of yeah. commitment. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, that's, yes. you know. Um, but Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg's position is that Facebook is designed to aid communication and to bring people together. He yes. says it's about bringing people together. Yes. Obviously, I think that the goal was to bring more people together than you would normally be able to manage in a life without a digital world. So you can keep in touch with people who live across the world from you. You can keep in touch with old friends who you wouldn't necessarily have kept in touch with otherwise because it's more difficult without social media. And so that is ultimately the idea. And to a certain extent, you know, it it works. It does do that. I get to see childhood friends' pictures of kids when I wouldn't see that otherwise. Um you know it's it's it does it does do that yes. where zuckerberg's logic falls short i think is the next logical step yeah um and this might come from the fact that he invented facebook so yes. he knows the inner workings he he understands how the algorithm works yes. and he understands how the business works and he understands how the business model works yes. in order to generate profit yes None of the rest of us 
really know that. Except yeah. our, our friends and colleagues who study this. Yes. And shout out to those of you who do, because everything I know about this is all down to you. Mm. But the, for, the, for those of us who consume rather than yeah. produce yeah. the echo chamber, for us, we use social media not just for communication and for connection on a kind of speaking to each other, yeah. communicating words and ideas to each other, but for affective reasons. Yes. For emotional reasons. And we go to social media because it triggers certain emotional responses in us. Often, I mean, people, right, the the Charlie Brooker commentary on this in Black Mirror, and if you haven't watched Black Mirror, do so. Um, But that the commentary is that the screen makes us feel like we are not alone, but in fact generates a more existential loneliness in us. And... That's a political position, one that I don't necessarily agree with, and one that I find to be very, to come from a very privileged position, um, a position where someone can be fully themselves with their family and friends without fear of their safety or fear of being rejected. Um, But that is, in a sense, we do have that effective use for social media. I mean, you and I talk about it all the time. Yes. Um, and we talk about how our news feeds, yeah. as if they're living beasts, yes. really, yes. as if yes. their creatures work differently. Yes. Um, and when we come to compare ideas and notes for podcasts, yes. we talk about how yes. your feed is doing certain things and my feed is doing another. Yes. yes. And I think the, the affective point, certainly over the last couple of days, really resonates with me because I imagine, perhaps like some of some of our listeners, I have gained enormous comfort from my Facebook feed, from seeing and chatting to and, you know, virtually hugging friends who are also really upset and angry and confused and scared and and all of the rest. And so one of the reasons why I am slightly, uh, what's the word? ambiguous about the about the social media echo chamber argument is that I have seen and experienced emotion as politics you know as, as the a politics of solidarity um, through Facebook certainly over the last couple of days and yes you can say it's preaching to the converted and you can say I'm only listening to people who agree with me but surely that's the fundamentals of solidarity, right? You, solidarity can only come from people who agree with you. Yes. And we see this, mm. the success of movements like Black Lives Matter. Yes. Um, but also, at the, I mean, the flip side of that is the, the very powerful social media opposition to Black yes. Lives Matter. Yes. And the creation of, of entire movements to challenge Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter being the... The most recent, yes, but all lives matter as well. Yeah. Um, and Mark Zuckerberg was specifically responding to, I think, the very well-researched claim yeah. that Facebook plays a huge role yes. in the news landscape, yes. in specifically the news journalism yeah. landscape. Yeah. And there's been a couple of articles written recently yeah. about the role of Facebook yeah. in the election. Yeah. 
and the research is quantitative, yeah. um, which is how most social media yeah. research is done these days. Um, and certain researchers have found things like nearly half of Americans get most of their yeah. news from Facebook. Yes. I would say that I fit yeah. that model quite a bit. Um, also, Facebook and and other news feeds yeah. have access to my browser history. Yes. And so the algorithm itself mm-hmm. is not just generating content mm-hmm. based on yeah. one yeah. one website that I'm using, but all of mm-hmm. the websites that I use. Yeah. And where was I going with this? Oh, the 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 very real claim, I think, and the, the valid claim that Facebook is not subject to journalistic standards yeah. and ethical guidelines mm-hmm. that established news yes. organizations are subject to because yes. Facebook is not a news organization. Yes. It is a social media platform. Yes. And yet... It is doing the work yeah. of a news organization. Yes, a uh, shout out to our friend Dr. Katie Muth who sent forwarded us this article. We'll, we'll put it in the in the description uh, from medium.com, which shows how the the metric they're using is is interesting. You know how much interest has Trump generated and how much interest has Clinton generated through likes and mentions and shares and and so on. And um, the, the the research there seems to suggest that Trump has outperformed Clinton in every single state. Um, big caveat is interest doesn't necessarily mean support. It can be positive interest or negative interest. Uh, but Trump has certainly outperformed Clinton in every single state. Whether the states are red, red or blue, it seems to make little difference. So going by that, certainly Trump has been much more prominent through things like memes and shared articles and viral stuff than that Clinton. Yes. Which of course, you know, f- Facebook Facebook provides a platform for content providers to sell their wares, basically. And the rise of social media as a platform yeah. for the sharing of information whether or not it's subject to journalistic standards. And this comes from a Guardian article written by a writer based in San Francisco um, where debates debates about the echo chamber are, are common in, in that part of the world um, for obvious reasons. A lot of tech journalists are based there. And the, the role of Facebook now as a you know, Zuckerberg sees Facebook as a neutral yeah. kind of a, a neutral concourse yeah. on which all of these yeah. these merchants sell yeah. their yeah. tidbits of information and yeah. their weird images yeah. or their funny images or their yeah. sound bites or yeah. um, their incorrect and um, made up quotes mm. being attributed yeah. to whoever yeah. they want. Yeah. Um, you know, memes. And the idea that that is journalism or not is quite a philosophical debate, I think. But for the purposes of the consumer, yeah. it's information that is formulating opinions yeah. Yeah. and that is fashioning certain yeah. political activities yeah. and certain political positions. But I think more importantly than that, 
it's creating certain affective responses. Yeah. And content providers on the internet aren't there just to share misinformation. Yeah. Um, and the, the stats that this Guardian article cites, yeah. uh, you know, being an academic, I'm biased towards academic researchers yeah. um, as being reliable resources. Um, but it cites 38% of um, right-wing, three top right-wing mm. news producers produce misinformation, false information. Yes. 18% of three top left-wing yeah. content producers, news yeah. producers, produce misinformation. Yeah. Um, and liking something doesn't mean that it's correct. It mm. just means that you like it. Yes. So is there then an equivalency between the kind of warmth and solidarity and comfort that I've experienced over the last couple of days? And a Trump supporter who goes on Facebook and learns that, you know, Hillary Clinton is crooked and whatever, you know, the whatever particular piece of misinformation this happens to be, and therefore that goes and votes for Trump. And is the, the, my affective connection with Facebook is equivalent to that person's affective connection to Facebook? The emotion, yes. yes. I think one of the one of the things that we talk about mm. um, the failures of postmodernism yes. is that it has made um, less critical readings yeah. of truth mm. and less nuanced understandings of truth and the objective mm. nature of yes. objective versus subjective nature of truth. Is that feelings are made equivalent to facts? Yes. When in fact. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. Feelings yeah. are feelings. Yes. And they're valid. Yes. And they're emotional responses and they yes. drive certain types yes. of behavior. Yes. But feelings are not facts. Yes. Feelings are feelings. Yes. Facts yeah. are something fundamentally different. Yes. And so but the eliding of the two yeah. is a very useful tool. Yeah. Um for the presenting of misinformation is true information. Yeah, and that the the illusion or the the equivalence, false equivalence between feeling and fact that certain types of postmodernism has arguably led to, is also not unconnected. I don't think to Zuckerberg's defense of Facebook, where he sees Facebook as an apolitical. Uh, medium through which you can just communicate uh, because it seems to me that the the narrative that says that that privileges that defies Facebook as a narrative of communication as a, as a as a tool that brings us closer together and we've seen this in in multiple examples in the response to the elections you know everybody from um, you know pundits on CNN and MSNBC, through to people like Stephen Colbert and Seth Myers, who are talking about how, what we need to do to risk to move past this election is for everyone to talk. And it's this privileging of the 
the feelings that are generated through human contact as the same as fact and they're just not you know that the they are factual material differences that are present in america like they're present in most other countries and the difference so the the, the differences between hillary supporters and trump supporters are not just differences of feelings they are material tangible yes sometimes ideological but the the solution to these the solution to i'm putting this really badly the it isn't enough for these two groups to meet and hug for there to be cohesion no and in fact the assumption that a clinton supporter and a trump supporter getting together and having dinner and hugging mm. it out yeah is enough to fix some of the vitriol and some of the hate that has marked the discourse of this campaign yes um has it it has serious consequences because it it glosses over the more nuanced and complicated yes. facts that yes. are at work absolutely and it also um it also demonizes political conflict as necessarily a bad thing yes in favor of uh, an uncritical humanism for yes. for if if we're going to put a label on it the idea that we are all deep down the same and any political and that sameness is a political and that any political discussion about hierarchies or differences or power lines or positions of privilege are undesirable that that is a that is explicitly a political position and that is the political position that Zuckerberg takes i think in his defense of facebook and it's also the political position that numerous tv hosts as we mentioned from stephen colbert through Seth Meyers and and lots and lots of other people have have taken uh and there's an SNL sketch, sketch that did the same thing where you know you, the 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 solution to the vitriolic campaign is to have Trump and Hillary run around and hug everybody yes which is absurd it's just it is i mean it's it's pathetic it's it's i mean if that is the best we can come up with in terms of analysis and response to you know historically unprecedented election then then we're in trouble feels weirdly like appeasement yes a policy of appeasement yeah. um which that's not to say um that we sit on just a complete opposite side no. which is that um you know trump supporters are all wrong and the only yeah. the only problem at stake here is that they just don't know any better and there's a no. false consciousness no. at work um the geographer in me is really fascinated yeah. by the multiple scales that are at work here yeah. and the fact that policy and specifically um policies around globalizing capital yeah. that have been standard practice among all mostly developed countries yeah. over the last 30 years have affected people 
unevenly yeah. and differentially. Yes. And it means that that people in different parts of the world have different concerns and are affected differently and have different yes. things at stake. Yes. And to discount the complicated and nuanced evidence and the, the facts that are at play here in, or, in order to understand yes. the way that people are affected differently, you know, we d- both sides have done it, yes. in a sense. Yes. Um, there's not just false consciousness at work, and there's not just um, liberals not listening yes. on the other. You know, it's... it's yes. They're both too simple. Yes. The echo chamber and the algorithm in particular, the algorithm specifically, I think, goes a long way yes. to explaining Trump in particular. Yes. Trump's unique success. Yes. Um, I don't, I mean, you could probably talk more about Modi's success a couple of years ago and yes. how social media played a Not role in, yes. in Modi's yes. success. Yes. But Trump in particular, I mean, my mom has said from the very beginning. Yes when Trump first announced that he was going to run in the Republican primary, that for him, this is self-promotion and it's a reality TV show. The one, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the one very successful business endeavor that Donald Trump did was The Apprentice. And he was very good at that. In terms of creating content, in terms of being a content producer, he was was very successful. Everyone remembers The Apprentice. It was a particular kind of cultural node in yes. terms of reality TV yes. and what he did. It yes. spawned a, a, a British version yes. that's still on TV, yes. that's still made. And the sort of hyper-masculine, um, warped, neoliberal individual that he created on his show yeah. was a particular meme. And he himself was a meme yes. on The Apprentice. Yes. So he's he's... Quite adept, and I think in some ways unintentionally so, yes. at being a meme. Yes. And so he was in some ways the perfect, the perfect semi-blank slate to yes. stick onto social media because he embraces the role of meme, yes. unlike anybody else. I mean, Barack Obama came close. Yes. Barack Obama was very successful at social media. Yes. Um, but because he was trained at the beginning, yes. he wasn't so good at it. No. He had to learn. Whereas but also, think, social media has changed in eight years, right? Yeah, social media has become more nuanced. More, and, but also, well, it's become more meme I think. Yeah. I think the meme did exist in 2008 and 2012. But I don't know if it was quite this. Well, I think we can... Is, is it lolcats? Can we yeah. Can we date it at lolcats? yeah. yeah. Which is pro- what two thousand eight? Yeah, yeah. I can has cheeseburger like that. Genuinely, yeah, 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 is yeah, the first yeah. meme yes. I can think of. Yes. Um, obviously it was cats. Yes. But Trump himself, unlike yeah. anyone else in the field, was Im- was memeable. Yes. To the point where he's almost beyond satire and yes, almost beyond yes. parody. Yes. It took Alec Baldwin, who is basically another version of Trump to effectively do it. And in that way, that's obviously Trump got, got nearly twice as many, genuinely twice as many likes and retweets on Facebook than Hillary Clinton did because he, that is who he is. That is 
what he is. And the algorithm worked in his favor in that way. So, I mean, I'm not particularly surprised that people were sharing information, whether they hated him and were sharing crazy, ridiculous memes about how he was insulting voters or people who were supportive of him and sharing, um, you know, triumphant articles about how he was going to protect their factories and their mines. You know, it it doesn't matter. He himself was this... I mean, it's in a weird way, it's a warped social media version of a cult of personality. Yes. That is generated and kind of reproduced and built. Yes. By the algorithm. Yes. Take that, Charlie Brooker. He already did. He did. He did. Well, see, this is, I mean, in, in terms of the, the surprise element, I guess this is part of part of my affective response for the last couple of days is to sort of swap between, go from on the one hand being incredibly shocked to thinking, why should I be so shocked? You could see the signs coming. Then going flipping to the other side and say, it was completely predictable. But then I'm going, why should I be normalizing this? Because this is not normal. And then, you know, going from one to the other and back and forth. Um, and I guess one of the ways out of that is to think of the role the algorithm plays. Yeah. Because the algorithm is... It's almost sort of re- redrafting citizen citizenhood, citizenship and agency, right? Because... You know, the act of turning the TV onto a particular channel or the act of buying a newspaper or reading an article is an act of agency in the way that something that happens to come up on your Twitter feed or something that happens to come up on your Facebook feed is not agency in the same way. Yeah, it it takes away... I mean, one of the things about technology is that it makes life easier and yeah. that is one of the things, yes. one of its selling points. Um, but the way that the algorithm works, and I think this is where dystopian depictions of AI really, where they come from, is if the algorithm can know you as well as or better than you know yourself, it can use all the information it has on you to make you feel a certain way. Yeah, because, and of course, you I mean, to an extent, you're in control, right? Because you're liking something and you're hiding something and you're following and you're unfollowing and all of those things. And you're clicking links. And you're clicking links. But, A, most, for most people, including myself, I think, even if I know that I'm not thinking that when I'm, when I'm clicking on something, I don't think. I don't think when, when we click on something, we click on something and we take an action in respect to whatever it is we are clicking on. But yeah. I don't think, I don't know how many of us consciously think that this is going to have an effect on what we are going to see next. Yeah, the, the way the algorithm, there are endless possibilities. Yes. If you were to just click and read, click and read yeah. without anything yeah. feeding yes. information to yes. you. Yes. Things would be you would see a very different picture yes. of the world. But also, you you would you don't 
even when you know it hap- it's happening, I don't think you are thinking of the consequences of what, what it is you're choosing to eat in terms of how that will affect what you get to see next. I don't think... I certainly am not. I don't know if you are. If no, you, if you no. If you click on... If, if you see something that comes up on Facebook or Twitter and you click on it, you you get interested in, in it and you click on it. Are you thinking in that moment that this will affect my future feed? Um, it didn't used to. Yeah. It does now. Yeah. And I notice it specifically through advertising. Yeah. Um, private eyes call them algorithms. Yeah. Um, a column dedicated to excellence in targeted advertising where um, really tasteless ads pop yeah. up in response to certain... Yeah. Articles and yes. things. Um, so an article about um, bulimia or anorexia, for example, um, with an ad on the side to a, a thinspo <laughs> website or to diet pills or yeah, to yeah. Yeah. a gym, yeah. right? That things that will, yes. you know, the, uh, yes. uh, the dis- glimpses of yes. the dystopian future, yes. Yes. you know, that yes. that is what it is. And yes. um now specifically with advertising yes i i do yes think yes a lot it doesn't change yeah. how i search for things yes. and it doesn't change what i read but it it does occur to me but at the same time this is you know it it taps into other kind of psychological debates about how people make decisions and how people make decisions based on how they see themselves yeah. in in wider contexts. But but also the politics of those decisions, right? So, like, you know, going back to the, the demand to listen to the other side, which is a demand that, that's been made across many forms of discourse since the elections. So, like, you know, if, if something comes up on my Twitter feed that is, I find, deeply offensive, as, you know, we've all had over the last few weeks, I'm sure, um, you know, whether it's explicitly anti-Semitic Nazi propaganda or violently misogynist stuff or whatever, if I choose to hide that or if I choose to report it or if I choose to unfollow it, is that an act of... Like, is that... What is that? What is the politics of that? Is that some self-care? Is that a refusal to engage? Is that self-censorship? How do we... How might we conceptualize the politics of that decision? I think what it actually does is it challenges all of those yeah. concepts. Yeah. It changes the way we have to understand those concepts yeah. um, because it can be any and all of them at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And to to make a judgment based on which one of those is the most right yeah. um, is to miss the point. It's to miss the fundamental point of how the social media algorithm is designed, what it does, and how we interact with it and how it's changed our lives. I think it, um, to get into these debates, leads us down that cyclical road where, you know, identity politics begins to eat itself, progressive politics begins to eat itself, post-structuralism, you know, dismantles structure to such an extent that we're left with nothing. Yeah. Um, and we might as well just sit in desensitization tanks and. That sounds quite cool at the moment. Imagine the, <laughs> the the universe in all of its glory. You know that that it misses the point. I mean, what we haven't talked about yet, and I think what obviously the the diehard Marxist in you is 
is like you know really wants to talk about is the fact that Facebook yes and all media news organizations yeah. but Facebook is designed yeah. to make money yeah and content provide John Oliver did a yes. really good yeah. A really good bit on yes. this, a long yes. form yes. piece of journalism. Yes. Um, conservatives don't like John Oliver because yeah. they see him as a, a lackey of yeah. the left. But in fact, John Oliver, unlike Stephen Colbert, yeah. unlike Jimmy Fallon, yeah. John Oliver does research. Yeah. Um, and I can get on board with anybody yes. who does their research. Yes. Um, he did this piece on content providers yeah. and how. Um, it was actually, it was Tom's sister, um, who recommended that I watch this yeah. because she said, this is a, this is a really interesting thing yes. for your podcast. This is exactly the sort of thing you'd want yeah. to talk about. Um, and I watched it and then put it aside because there were so many other awful yes. things happening in the world, but this is now the time to talk about yeah. it. And John Oliver has, he alerted us to the, the dangerous and timely, yeah nature of yeah. of content providers on yeah. news organizations yes. how um you won't ever know when you're on a news yes. media website yeah. that you're reading an article that's actually an ad yes um and they've now ads are written in the style of journalism yes. but yes. are in fact yes. written by third party yes. content providers yes. not and they're not subject yes. to editorial standards and facebook is like that on steroids yeah. that is all Facebook yes. is, yes. is a platform for all of those content yes. providers for the purpose of generating profit Yeah. Yes. in some way. Yes. Either they're, they're a weird platform where you can yes. upload illegally yes. sourced memes yeah. where ads are half of the clicks and yes. so you're accidentally clicking on ads yes. and so they're generating six-figure profits yes. for you know the three guys running the show in their mom's basement. Yes. You know, the... the that these kinds of businesses, yeah. companies, yes. are not necessarily in, in, they're not working to, yeah. to put Donald Trump into power. They're just working to generate profit for I themselves. Mean, the, see, you, you, I mean, if thinking about sort of the, Marxist, the Marxist take on all of this, one of the most fascinating things to me is that it's not just that they're not necessarily working to put Trump in power, but many of the individual people who are behind earning a lot of this money are actually actively donated to Hillary. Yes. So like, you know, Zuckerberg is not Trump supporter. No. And much of Silicon Valley did not vote and did not support Trump. With the exception of um, PayPal's prodigal son. Yes. But you, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's really hard to see which side, if you had to make a choice, which side establishment capitalism took. Yeah. They probably went for Hillary. The individuals. Individuals, yeah. But that's where the individual yeah. and the, the monster that yes. they created yeah. don't match up. Yes. And Zuckerberg thinks that we view the algorithm the way that he does because he made it. He doesn't fully grasp how everyone else uses social media. He grasps how they use it. He doesn't fully grasp why. Yeah, how they feel about it. And the consequences of it 
beyond the fact that it makes him a lot of money and yeah. there are certain trends that he can quantify and study. Yeah. Which, again, I mean, I don't want to come across as the, the guy who always says social media is carrying on the same things, but it's it's not all that different to the to the person who decides to watch Fox over MSNBC or the person who decides, decides to watch MSNBC over Fox. They are taking a particular decision based on their political positions and... Yes, they're getting news and they're getting information, but they also feel better about themselves. Yeah. Because they're hearing a lot of people agree with them and there's solidarity on both sides. Um, so again, it's not uh, not unlike old media, as it were. Yeah, and they feel, one of the reasons that Fox News did so well, and Fox yeah. News, of course, is starting to eat itself now because Fox News was designed for TV. Yeah. It was a, a 1990s yeah. form of news media yeah. rather than a you know 2010s yeah. form of news media, um, and it hasn't transitioned to the internet quite yes. as well. Um, but Fox News was tapping into an yeah. an affective yes. response, yes. particularly among older people in the United yes. States, yes. older people who. Um, we're seeing a lot of the institutions that they knew and, and recognized as safety nets disappearing yeah. and falling apart. Yeah. Institutions like Social Security, yeah. um, institutions like Medicare, which yeah. older people are, are always really worried about losing. Yeah. And um, a lot of really rapid changes. I mean, you and I would see these yeah. as rapid changes towards yeah. a better way of thinking yeah. that is more humane. Yeah. Um, but deep-seated feelings of of loss and yeah. alienation and isolation yeah. among white men, yeah. um, which is something that I am being told by people like Seth Meyers that I should have more sympathy for, but yes. I just can't generate it. Um, but intellectually, I can recognize yeah. the feelings yes. that give rise yes. to a whole population of people who will watch Fox News but who will have grown up in the 50s and the 60s and who will have had their young adulthoods yeah. defined by the yeah. 40s, 50s, and 60s where news yeah. was not generated for profit. Yeah. News was distinct yeah. from entertainment. It was separate from yes. entertainment. Yes. And so for them, news that's suddenly made as entertainment, they don't see it as entertainment. They see it as news. Yes. This was my grandfather's position. Yeah. He couldn't recognize spam email as being distinct from real email. He yeah. thought they were legitimate. It was legitimate mail. Yeah. Yeah. And so he'd click on links and get viruses yeah. on his computer because the world had changed. Yes. Yes. He's, he was not a stupid man. He yes. was a very smart man. Yeah. Um, and he, he, in the grand scheme of things, was not the worst old white yeah. man yeah. to have lived. Yeah. But the... Things, you know, yeah. news media had changed. Yes. Yes. And so we see an, a, another transition yeah. where older people are using the internet yeah. and they are clicking on news sources or yes. websites that look like they're news sources because they use the same format. Yeah. But in fact, the information yeah. is not news. It's yeah. this other yeah. entertainment content. Yeah. And the algorithm has fed it to them. Yes. Because the algorithm works by you clicking on links. Yes. And so there's this dual kind of yes. kind of system at play that no one can see because yeah. it's invisible. Yes. 
The algorithm yes. is invisible. Yeah. As are the people sitting writing this stuff. Yes. That does not explain the young white guys who have a working knowledge of video games and programming, who have plenty of privilege, lots of social capital, who voted for Trump. I have no explanation for that other than racism and misogyny. Um, But I think the algorithm especially, but my mom who's an IT professional has backed this, this up. That people who don't understand how their technology yeah. sausage gets made yeah. can't see. Yes. Even because you and I can't see it. Yeah. And we can talk, we can intellectualize it, we yeah. can ask our friends, yes. and we can research it. And we, you and yes. I can't yeah. predict yeah. it. I think we're done. Yeah. Um, this was never going to be a happy episode. Um, I hope, I hope everyone stays safe. Uh, look out for each other. If you see, see someone who's in danger, help. Yeah. Um, that really isn't as, um, overblown as it sounds because already we've had lots of reports of increased incidents of hate crime of various kinds, so. In the UK and the US. In the UK and in the US. Um, hang in there, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you. Where would we be?